Hi, welcome to Project Healing, a podcast whose mission is to shed light on true self-care, healing our inner demons, and connecting the world in deeper and more meaningful ways. We all have a story to share, and we're very excited to be a part of helping everyone to share their own along the path of their healing journey. I'm your host, Katherine Galvin, psychic medium and intuitive healer, and with me, I have my co-host. I'm Jenna Korzynski, empathic intuitive healer and medium. I believe that we have to feel our pain in order to heal it, and that community is a huge part of that process. Thank you for being on this journey with us. Hello. <laughs> Look, I'm you today. <laughs> <laughs> you are. <laughs> Hello. Hey, we always forget to drop how cool we are. So we're going to do this in the beginning of our show today. Go check us out on our Patreon page, okay? We have discounted readings and discounted Reiki healing sessions for way less than what Jenna and I offer on our own private service pages. Private service pages. That sounds a little Ashley Madison, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, a, little say bit, that? a little bit. I was going to say, do it. And then I was like, maybe I shouldn't say Good that. Choice. <laughs> yeah, that got a little, uh, got a little raunchy fast. We're getting right into it tonight. Um, so <laughs> anywho, um, we also have our, our $10 tier is where it starts. And that offers a group reading, which we have starting this month, July 30th. And if I just fudged that and realized that this probably premieres in early August, that's okay. We still have that as our $10 tier and we will be doing our medium circles, our psychic medium circles and messages at the end of every month. All right, friends. So guess what we're talking about today? It's actually not a happy topic and I'm singing. So I should maybe not do that. We are talking about postpartum depression. Jenna, you can resonate, yeah? Absolutely. And did you know that I'm going to throw some stats out. I'm going to pull a Jenna here. I got statistics. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? Oh, it's been a really long day of remodeling. It's really hot out here. (laughs) And the boys were crazy today. So we're just going to kick it. So as statistics would have it, we've got some percentages here. 70 to 80% of women who have a baby experience at least at minimum the baby blues. The difference between the baby blues and postpartum depression is the baby blues goes away within like a week or so, I think they say, of delivery. And postpartum depression does not. In fact, you can start to show symptoms of postpartum depression. I believe it's up to four or five years after having your baby. And people don't realize that, but it can take that long to show up. So this is, this is to say 70 to 80% experience the baby blues, but 10 to 20% are re- it's the reported rate of clinical depression around postpartum depression, okay? So 10 to 20%, that kind of sounds low to me, though. So then you have to think about, like, all the people who don't report it or who don't realize that they're going through it, right? And the craziest thing, when they really broke it down, I'm not a numbers person, but every once in a while I like to really look at the numbers behind things because I know other people are numbers people. There are 4 million live births in the U.S. on average every year. So 
if that's 10 to 20%, that's like 600,000 women who experience postpartum depression. That's huge. You are so not alone if you're going through this, right? And that doesn't include, even more dauntingly, that does not include women who have experienced a stillbirth or a miscarriage. When you include Mm -hmm. those numbers, it goes up to 900,000. That's almost a million women. And then something that I found even more shocking was that, not shocking, I shouldn't say it that way. It's something I never considered and I feel like we should consider. So this can affect adoptive parents as well. It's not just, yeah, right? It's not just. It's not just the hormonal imbalance, but it's the taking on of a whole nother life, right? So 8% mm. of adoptive parents report going through postpartum depression. And what's interesting, that's versus um, 16.5% of bio moms. So when you think about that, you know that number is way far underreported because of social stigmas around adoption and how they didn't physically carry a baby. And I'm sure there's all of like there's a million other things that go into that song and dance there but that's just absolutely mind-blowing to me to think that adoptive parents are going through this without a voice at all yeah i you know that was never even on my radar right um the thing that just popped for me is part of my i'm gonna probably skip ahead here, but this resonates with the adoptive parents. Part of my struggle with my postpartum depression was like mourning the growth of my child. Um, like both of my kids actually, as they got older, that was really hard for me because I I had to like let go of their like infant, you know, that like newborn stage. And then I had to let go of the infant stage and then the toddler stage. And so I could kind of see how I'm not saying that it's limited to this, but I could see how that could happen with an adoptive parent right. too. They longed for this baby for so long mm. and then the baby's growing. So it affects their mental state. You know, right. I just kind of put that together on my own. I don't know if that's a real thing, but <laughs> yeah, I didn't even think about that perspective. I was thinking more like the exhaustion and all of that, that mm. they're going through. And you're absolutely right because as it would happen with you and I, typically our experience is either shockingly the same or completely polar opposite, right? So for me, my yeah. postpartum depression, it was more like getting to those phases was like, I can't believe we all made it alive. <laughs> so for me, though, and and I laugh, but s- sincerely, it was a really scary time. I suffered with it for my firstborn, for Wesley. I did not with my second. I definitely had anxiety, but it was pretty, I think it was just a general thing at that point. It didn't really have to do with his birth. It had to do with having two children back to back who were running me ragged. Anyone would have been tired in that position, I think. But I mean, maybe it, it was more postpartum, but it didn't, it felt very different than it did the first time with Wesley. And I, they, they even say that dads, 10% of dads go through this. Yes. 10% yeah. of dad. I think I think for for me I relate on both fronts as well because for my second I definitely felt more of like the 
like mourning the growth and like releasing the fact that, you know, she was no longer my little tiny baby and so on and so forth. And for my first, I think I got hit from all angles. Yeah. I mean, everything was like the end of the world for me. But I was one of those unreported cases because, you know, sunshine and daisies and everything's wonderful, even though I was a mess. Right. I got it. I got it. I got it. And I don't think it really mourned anything. I think I was thrilled to see my kids hitting those milestones because I was so not good with the baby, baby phase. But then looking back at pictures of Jameson, my youngest, getting older, when Facebook memories would throw those in, then I would get really sad and depressed over that because I couldn't believe that he was my last. And as luck would have it, he was not. (laughs) Good old Morena (laughs) pulled through. But um, you knew that Eva was your last, right? Yes. Yeah. Well. No? Uh, yes and no. So, um, Eva was intended to be our last, but I couldn't bring myself to, I was okay. going to get my tubes tied and I, cu- I couldn't bring myself to do it because yeah. I had this like fear of losing her because I had suffered a miscarriage before having her. So I had this like crazy connection to her that was kind of terrifying. Oh, I get that. (laughs) I get that because they might keep saying like, if you have a C-section this time, and it's funny because by the time this airs, I will have number three here, but he keeps telling me, if you have a C-section, just get everything tied. I'm like, tied? They're going to cauterize it. They're going to rip it all out. I'm like, It's going to be like a freaking graveyard in there. That's what I would say. But then when I really thought about it, I was like, well, number one, I'm not having a C-section. Like, I believe, you know, in the power of manifestation. And I also will share that with my first, I was induced and they told me I would not have lunch. I would eat dinner. And I laughed at the nurse and said, I don't miss meals. And I had lunch. So when I say that I will manifest this, I will manifest this. There will be no C-section. I'm horrified of surgery. So just a little backbeat there. With Wesley, I was induced. And I remember, I I don't remember where I was going with this because, like I said, it's been a long day. But it, it definitely, for me now, thinking about it, if I had a C-section, and that were an option, I don't think I could sign those papers that would say, yeah, go ahead and cauterize it all. And I know that's not what they do. I know that's a very insensitive way to say it, but I don't think I could do it because every other day I'm like, yeah, let's have one more. No, let's not. That's insane. Yeah, let's have one more. Oh my God, that's a suicide mission. I can't decide. So he's got to go do it. So let's put the money on it right now. This is August 2020. (laughs) Let's see when Katie and Mike, excuse me, Catherine and Mike have... Their fourth baby, right? <laughs> Just not another summer one. But postpartum depression, before we got on here to talk about this, I asked my husband, and I got to tell you, the fear that washed over his face when I asked him to share with me what he felt like it was like being around me with that, I think he was afraid to to piss me off, first of all, which is fair because at this point, I'm 38 plus weeks pregnant and our whole house is being renovated (laughs) unintentionally so it's fair but he said Mike being the man of many words that he has said eggshells I was like excuse me do you care to elaborate on that at all so (laughs) he explained to me and I knew all of this but I also know that 
I have, as we've talked about before with trauma, you tend to kind of black out a lot of traumas, right? Like our inner child work, we forget the things that we've been through. And with um, my postpartum, which I really think was more like a PPA, it was postpartum anxiety, because which is something we'll have to touch on for sure, because it's different. It shows up differently. And that's why I think it's important to touch on it. But for Mike, he said the hardest part was dealing with the explosive anger and being at work and getting messages from me where he's trying to do his job. I mean, he's active duty military. It's not like it's not like he's working a minimum wage job. He can just kick it. And even then you have responsibility to bring money home. You can't just kick it. Right. So I would be messaging him crying my eyes out saying, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I can't do this. I'm so tired. I'm going to like, I'm going to hurt this kid or I'm going to hurt myself. And it was bad. And I feel like there's no reason to water it down or downplay what my experience was because there were plenty of times that I legitimately thought that I was going to hurt myself or my oldest child. I did not know what to do. And there was maybe one friend who really knew what I was going through. And she would she came over in the middle of the night to help when my husband was out of town. The one week he was out of town. Um, I've traveled a lot more since having kids than he has for sure. But being military, I think that's weird. So anyway, <laughs> for him, it was the explosive anger. It was having to deal with someone who was thoroughly depressed and anxious. And anxiety can show up as anger. And I think a lot of people don't realize that. So for me, it was rage outbursts. It was physically shoving my husband. It was taking my child and setting him down really hard in the crib and walking away thinking like that wasn't going to be the worst thing that I was going to do. And I was afraid of it. And there were times once I realized what was happening that I was worried it was even more serious and it was like postpartum psychosis. So Even when you get to that point where you finally, I was nine weeks postpartum when I went to the doctor and I must have looked like a wreck when I walked in the door. You know, when you see someone and I think it's hard to put away as two intuitives, but when you see someone and they've got that shaky, disheveled, just unsettled look about them, I think that's what I looked like. I looked like the crazy person on the street corner singing songs for a couple of dimes. Like I looked crazy. And I remember the receptionist putting her hand over the counter and touching my hand when I signed it. And she's like, you're going to be okay, honey. I must have been so rough looking. And I remember leaving with medicine, which I think is also shocking for a lot of people to hear me say, because a lot of people think, oh, she's crunchy. She's granola. She's psychic. She's into essential oil. She's all this, that, and the other thing. But at the end of the day, I couldn't put together an oil regimen to save my life. And that's what it felt like. It felt like saving my life. And I remember taking that first anxiety pill and it was such a low dose and it was it's not anything habit forming or anything like that but I remember taking it and just sighing and calling my mom in tears and saying I think like I'm gonna be okay I'm actually gonna be okay I know it didn't do anything yet but I know I'm going to be okay it was just so scary so scary I don't know I mean what was your experience like mine was anger not depression, did not it, crying, but angry. Crying. I'm just curious, like, when did it hit you? Like, did it, you said you went to the doctor mm. at nine weeks postpartum, but like, when, like, do you remember when it, when it hit you? Like, was it when you were all or still at the hospital? Was it once you came home? When did it hit me that it was a problem? Or when was I feeling it? No, when did you start feeling everything? Oh, my God, immediately. There's a picture of 
I'll have to find it and see if I can post it on our Patreon page or on our Project Healing um, Facebook page. There's a picture of me holding Wesley, and I look terrified in it. But I, I, the caption has like a joke on it about like he who someone doesn't like which one of us is more scared or something. And I remember leaving the hospital and just I didn't feel connected and not in a depressing way. It was just like, I don't know what to do here. (laughs) This isn't I would look at pictures of these moms with their newborns and you could see the love in their eyes. When you look back at my picture, especially you being so intuitive, you would look at it. You would be like, oh, my God, she's horrified. It was fear and it was sadness and it was loneliness and I didn't know what to do. And I had had a miscarriage before Wesley as well. And then getting pregnant with him, I was nervous the whole time that something was going to happen. And then delivering him, I was in there making jokes left and right because of yay epidurals. Um, Again, not as crunchy as we all would assume. (laughs) Um, I think it hit me right away. I was terrified. I remember them putting him on my body. And my first thought was, oh, my God, I made this. Not oh my God, I made this. It was, oh shit. Like I was scared. I was really scared. And it didn't, It. I remember like the day before my appointment was the day I called. They got me in right away. And they, I, I just, I remember being like that close to nine weeks postpartum and being like, this is not normal. I have got to talk to somebody. I can't do this like this. I was just so angry. And that's something that later I think we'll probably touch on on this podcast is um, depression and anxiety during pregnancy, because that's something I definitely have a story to share Mm -hmm. about as well later on down the road. But it's it's horrifying to feel so not like yourself. And I have made it my mission in life. Every time I meet someone who's pregnant with their first, I'm like, listen, it's okay if it doesn't feel like sunshine and rainbows for you. And I hope that it does. And I'm not trying to scare you. I just want you to know if it doesn't feel right, speak up immediately. Because yeah. nine weeks of feeling like that, my poor husband walking yeah. on eggshells, trying to do everything. I couldn't get up in the middle of the night. I couldn't get up. I would be angry at everything. So angry. So angry. Yeah. Um, yeah. My yeah. experience was a little bit different. So, um, I, I mean, my profession centers around me working with children. Mm -hmm. So I was like so excited all the way through and I felt like I knew all the things. (laughs) Disclaimer, nobody knows all the things. (laughs) Except for people who aren't. Don't. Only non-parents know everything. We were great parents before we were parents. (laughs) Yes, for sure. And sending somebody's child home at six o'clock versus keeping them 24-7 is Two, those are two completely different things. But anyway, so um, I was good in the hospital. Um, my firstborn had a hard time latching. And I remember that was like the first moment of me feeling like I kind of failed. Oh, yeah. Um, and I was like, I had my like heart set on the fact that like I was going to nurse and it wasn't happening. And they were sending in all these um lactation specialists I was sending some of them away because I didn't like them so they would find me different ones um oh you were that girl (laughs) but (laughs) well well yeah because they were I don't know it just felt very um rigid it didn't feel like comforting and I didn't want anybody in my space that wasn't like trying to support me or didn't it didn't feel like they were trying to support me so 
you know, so, um, and then they kept going back to formula feeding. You're just going to formula feed him. That's just what it is. And I, I didn't agree with that. So, so the thought of me not being able to nurse my son was like the first moment where I felt like I failed. And it was my first, like, disconnect, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, when I look back at that now, I put that together, but I, at the time I was just like, you know, we made this like unspoken agreement myself and my son that like he was going to latch, everything was going to be okay. We moved on from it. We went home. Now (laughs) my son was the first, um, grandchild on my husband's side Um, my husband is an only child comes from a large family. Um, I come from a large family. I have a wide network of people that I've known my entire life through my, I'm a dance instructor. So through my dance community. So my house was a revolving door when I came with my firstborn and you know, they say, Oh, just sit back and relax and let everybody cater to you. That's not how I was raised. So I was up trying to entertain Everybody else was holding my baby, um, and I did not really get to hold my child for probably the first week that he was alive because our house was a revolving door. Um, so you had mentioned that you t- you tell new moms, like, it's okay if you're not okay. I tell new moms, put the boundaries up and yeah. make sure that your house is not a revolving door because you need to bond with your child. So. I found, though, that when everybody was gone, I was having these moments of just overwhelm, like intense overwhelm. Like he would cry and I would cry. Um, I would try to like feed him um, and that would be fine. He would get finished feeding and he would vomit everything that he ate all over me. And so I was like, oh, my gosh, yeah, something's wrong with him. Um, And my husband only was able to take a few days off of work after we had him. So that was also really intense for me. And I remember just begging him not to go to work. I didn't want to be alone with my son, which was shocking to me because I had worked with children since I was 17 and I was 30 when I had my first kiddo. So, um, I just felt like a failure and I couldn't get out of my own head. I started to, I never wanted to harm my son, but I started to get those self-harm feelings back. Yeah. Uh, that I wasn't enough. I was inadequate. Um, he would be better off without me. Everybody would be better off without me. Same. And luckily I knew myself well enough to be like, okay, this is not normal. Like this is not, I should not feel this way. But when I went to the doctor and they ask you all of the questions, what did I say when they said are you experiencing depression or anxiety? I was like, nope, I'm good. Like, everything's why, why? fine. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Everything's fine. Oh, you're doing a great job. And I would get in the car for those appointments and I would cry because I was upset with myself again for not being honest. And um, part of that for me was because I have had um, some adverse reactions to medication over the years Um, as had I yeah okay so medication I feel does not agree with my system um and I was terrified of them saying well we're gonna put you on medication I didn't want that and I knew that that was like usually what happens so I was too afraid to speak up too afraid to ask for an alternative way um to help heal myself and just ended up everything on my own 
Mm-hmm. Um, and being the same, being like raging out at my husband, raging out at my family. Um, and it lasted a while. I think Cameron was almost three by the wow. time that I really felt like myself again. Um, so that was intense, a you little know, bit different, but that makes sense though, because Jameson's about three and I'm finally like, Hey guys, I'm ready to have another <laughs> baby. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That makes sense. And I want to say, too, though, that back to the medicine really quickly. When I was in my early 20s, I went on, well, Butrin. And I remember locking myself in my bedroom. Did not want to talk to anybody. And I, when I went on it, I had a roommate at the time. Um, his name was Zach. Such a good guy. But anyway... I'll only say that because I know he'll never hear this, but yeah, we had an agreement that if I acted weird, he would do something about it. And he literally busted in my door. Like, okay, he didn't like kick it in, but he like took the doorknob off and came in and took the medicine and threw it out. He's like this. It was three days of it. Three days of it. That's all it was. He's like, you're not doing this. This is intense. Like, this is not happening. In those three days, like I, I literally I lost my job because I wouldn't show up for it, which, by the way, needed to happen. It was an awful job. But um, I had lost my job. I tried to call out and they told me if I wasn't there, I would be fired. And I said, I can't be there. I will not be there. They called and called and called. And I finally had to shut my phone off. Um, I was just a wreck on that. I felt completely out of my own body. And when I took the medicine that they prescribed this time around, which by the way, again, nine weeks, like you have a six week checkup and I did the same thing. Everything's fine. (laughs) And so I get that too. But at that point, I think that's what it was is I knew I was going to hurt myself or somebody else and I couldn't do it anymore. Um, But a lot of women don't hit that, right? Like they don't get there. They either don't get that bad or they just keep powering through. And I, I just... I just want to make it understood that if you have been on one medicine before, one does not define them all, and that taking Celexa completely changed everything for me. It wasn't that out-of-body weird experience. It was total peace. It wasn't feeling like numb or weird or off or different. It was feeling like myself again. So if you're on something that doesn't make you feel like yourself, it's probably not the right thing either. So definitely talk to your doctor about that too, because I literally felt like how I used to feel and I could laugh and be sarcastic and act like a jackass and enjoy my life again and sleep without feeling like someone was breathing down my neck or like I was angry for absolutely no reason at this tiny little human who didn't ask to be at the center of so much anger. So yeah. I 100% get that. Um, but it's it, it was a lot easier. And I know there are people who are listening who will probably disagree with that, that it's just it's like a cop out to take medicine or something. But when you're in a position where you and I know that's not your belief, when you're in a position no. where it's, it's literally life and death, I think at that point, it was literally life and death. Someone was not going to make it out on the other side of that. You do what you have to do. And a lot of people are ashamed of that. And there should be no shame around having to take something. And I will say, too, I tried a lot of different things before I did that. So it's um, 
just explore your options is all I'm saying. Explore all of your options and, and be open and vocal about it because people like Jenna and I suffered in silence and we know what it's like. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to suffer in silence. You don't have to be by yourself. You are one of 600,000 women, one of 900,000 women who have, who are going through this. It's not, it's, and it's different for everybody. It's rage, it's sadness, it's depression, it's not getting out of bed, it's overeating, it's undereating. It's, it's just any behavior that doesn't feel healthy and normal. Speak up on it. Tell Tell yeah, a friend definitely. someone cares. No, we care. Talk yeah, to us. Exactly. We get it. We yeah, do, though. Definitely. And that's the thing for me. I When I realize I do a lot of analy- self-analyzation. So when I realized, like, I was like, okay, I'm not I'm not communicating with my community anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, my, I, I had fallen away from everything. I wasn't getting any physical activity. Like, there were so many things that just fell off because I was in this, like, black hole. Um, so, and I, no, I don't, for the record, I know you already said it, but I don't have, there's no shame in medication from my perspective. It's just when I tell you like Tylenol, I don't react well to Tylenol. Like I don't react well to any medication. So, um, that's why for me, um, I do try to find alternative means and I've, and it's worked out for me, but that just like Catherine said, that's not for everyone, but I had to figure out what worked for me to help me kind of see the other side and see the light. And part of that was just talking to other moms and being honest and saying, man, I feel awful. Like, did you ever feel like this? And I was so surprised at how many of my friends had been through it. And I had no idea that they had suffered. Yes. As well, because we try not to talk about these things. And I I don't know. Like, why doesn't anybody say, hey, warning label, kids are amazing, but they can also be real scary. They're the real life (laughs) zombies. Yeah, they suck your brains out and all of your energy. They really are. I say that all the time. Um, But that's another thing. I was really fortunate with my OB that he said, I really want this to be temporary for you. When we get to a point where you're comfortable, we'll start weaning you off and monitoring it. So that was huge for me. And they made me do therapy as well. I mean, they couldn't make me, but they really strongly encouraged that I do therapy as well. So, which is great because we all know that's like my favorite pastime. (laughs) So it's fine. Starbucks and a therapy (laughs) sesh. We're good. Please send me my Uggs. (laughs) Put me in my big black SUV. Soon to be minivan, right? (laughs) Here we go. Um, (laughs) But it is. It's really important. And that also being said, exercise, my friends. Get outside Mm -hmm. and exercise. It makes such a big difference. It really, 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 truly does. Get outside with your little one and exercise too. That's always, I mean, come on, show them the healthy habits. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Yeah. And this is what really turned it around for me was the physical activity. I joined a a boot. No, I joined a boot camp with a couple of my girlfriends. And it was like the best release for me because it was like these quick burst like activities where Mm -hmm. you could get a lot of that energy out um, in a short time period. And I felt I couldn't do a lot of this stuff, but I felt so much better. Yeah, 100 percent. That was huge for me, too, was getting back to exercise. And I actually was in better shape after having both of my boys before getting pregnant. Again, um, I was in probably the best shape of my life. I remember being like a size two and I am not typically a size two and I weighed more than I ever weighed, but it was muscle. It was 
awesome. And I have pictures of it, and I'm good with just having pictures of it. It's not a goal of mine to be back there every time. <laughs> I'm good. I've got photographic proof. Yeah. This is fine. This is all I need. Oh, my God. All right, you guys. If you haven't checked out Jenna's services, you on her Ashley Madison page. Um, <laughs> you, if you haven't checked out Jenna's services, Definitely head over to jennakempath.com and check out her past life regressions and all of the other services she offers. I have to toot your horn today, sorry. Because she, we endlessly support each other, just so you know, but I just had a past life regression done by Jenna and it was absolutely incredible. And then we had uh, Ashley Escobar on last week and I just had a half hour reading with her actually. Both Jenna and Ashley pulled the same archangel for me as well, which was pretty cool when signs line up like that. Lots and lots of healing from understanding your past life too because you're able to see what's like lined up for you, what's been like a repeated theme in your life over and over and over again. So really cool stuff. Definitely book a session with Jenna so she can get in on that and I'm just gonna wrap this up before she has any time to say anything weird and uncomfortable so go check out what she's got to offer there because it's really cool really really cool stuff all right you guys thank you for tuning in and we will catch you next time on project healing